You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, this morning, uh, this will be our, my last message on Colossians. I've been slowly working through Colossians whenever I've been speaking the last couple months. And we're going to be finishing off with the last end of Colossians 3 and uh, the beginning part of Colossians 4, which is, which is quite short. And um, this morning I have a little slide. Is the slide not working, Natalie? Okay, there we go. It's working. Awesome. Um, I didn't really have a title for this. I haven't really been titling these, these messages, but I found this slide that said, Christ is enough. And if, if this message this morning were to have a title, I guess it would be Christ is enough, because Christ is enough. You know, we have everything we need to live a godly life. Did you know that? That if you have Christ in your life, you have everything you need. You know, when I, when I first got saved, I had some very amazing youth leaders that, um, that were really encouraging, that didn't put any sort of hindrances on mine and, and, and my friends' lives. And, and I was taught that all I needed to be able to make an impact for God was to be born again, to have the Word of God and my voice. That all I had to do is, in faith, go out and share the faith that I now had in Jesus. And because I had the Holy Spirit within me, because I was born again, and because I had the Word of God, that with my faith, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit, I could change the world. And, um, you know, it's interesting, because that was probably the most, one of the most vibrant parts of my spiritual walk. And within... 30 days, I already led one of my friends to Jesus. It was exciting. And pretty much instantly, I was involved in a student leadership team, and I was plugged into many different ministries. I was, I was serving in some capacity and a part of ministries within that next year, four nights a week, which was way too much for, for my mother. She was a little bit dismayed. I'd pulled away from Boy Scouts. I'd pulled away from soccer because uh, I was so passionate about God. And and my mom grew up in the church, in the Church of England, but had not attended a single church thing in all her adult life. And so to me, I probably looked like a radical to her, um, this little radical Mark, uh, getting all, all hopped up on Jesus. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I feel like we wait too long to operate in effectiveness. That there are some people in this room that have been Christians for years and maybe never led somebody to Jesus. Maybe there's people that have been part of our church for years and have never been part of any particular ministry in our our body. And I'm sure you have many wonderful excuses, um, things that hold you back. Like, I just don't know enough. I don't know enough Bible. Or maybe I haven't been saved long enough to be able to contribute in a meaningful way. I need to be mentored first. I don't know what it is, but what I know is when you step out in faith with like people who have a faith and a passion and a love for God, and you're willing to be led by the Spirit of God, and you're willing to enact that which you read in the Word, in your life, you'll have effectiveness. You will. You can't but if you're being led by the Spirit of God. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that if you've been a Sunday attender and been hesitant about getting involved any more than that, ask God what you should be involved in. Ask God where you can serve. Ask God who you need to be connected to and plugged in with and who will help you to stoke that flame, that passion within you to be able to serve. 
and to set aside the fear of your own inadequacy because, yes, it's true, in our own strength, we are inadequate. That without faith, there's nothing that we can do for God that's meaningful or impactful. But by faith, we please God when we walk out in faith. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. You know, this week will be a continuation of last week's message concerning casting off our old sinful selves and walking in our new life as Christians in the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week I spoke about how we must recognize the sin in our lives, that we got to name it, that we have to be able to identify it and call it out for what it is. Everything in our life that is not in alignment with God's will has to be identified and labeled. Because it can be easy, so easy, to justify it and to just push it to the side and ignore it. But God wants to take those things and restore it so that you would walk in life, life abundant. As, uh, as our friend quoted this morning. So we have to recognize our sin. And we have to recognize that our sinful desires, the Bible says, have been nailed to the cross. And so we need to leave them there, not try to bring them back into our lives. You know, we talked briefly about repentance and how repentance is to have a new mind, a change of mindset, and that God wants to renew us by his word. You know, as we turn away from the sin, we identify and trust God to lead us into righteousness. That righteousness is not something that we can attain by our own striving and our own effort. But that as we cast off the robes of unrighteousness, God clothes us with his righteousness. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't just, he doesn't see our sinful selves. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. He sees someone who he paid a high cost to redeem, to set free by sending his son on the cross. And so we must repent. And then lastly, I spoke about how we need to respond. That a Christian life is essentially a continual responding to God. That God did a work in our life to save us from the pit of hell. And then now we work with God to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so responding to God and the Holy Spirit every single day. You know, James is quite clear that hearing the word of God is not good enough. That there must be a response in our life, that we have to act it out. That there has to be a faith walk that is coinciding with our belief for it to be real. You know, a renewed mind means that we conform our life to the standard laid out for us by Scripture. The Word of God now becomes our roadmap for life. Not our own earthly desires, not our own thoughts, and not our ever-changing cultural expectations of what's right and wrong. That God has a standard. God has a plan for our life that is perfect, that is good, that is the best life we could ever live. And when we follow God's roadmap, it leads us to the best destination, which is eternity with God forever and ever. Amen. So for the remainder of Colossians 3 and 4, um, we're going to look at that today. But it's fairly instructional, um, this passage of Scripture. It's um, instructional concerning the life of the church, our home lives, and to how we interact with those who are outside of the church, those who aren't Christians, and I'll put an apostrophe yet. Those who aren't in the church yet, because I believe that God is drawing them to himself and, and he is sending us to them in our community to be a light and to bring hope and to bring his love to people that are in desperate need of it. And so um, everything from this point forward in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, I just want to state, is relevant and is attainable for us today. It's relevant and it's attainable. 
You know, sometimes we think, is the Bible really relevant today? Is some of the things in there, is it, is it attainable? Is that something we can really do? And I shared a bit last week about, you know, one example of, of, of sexual sins. I give a few examples that, according to our culture, no, it's not attainable. You should just do as everyone else is doing. And I came at it saying, no, it is attainable. That when God is leading you, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you can do all things. God's not going to ask you to do something that is impossible with him. He's going to ask you to do some things that are impossible for you to do in your own strength, but he's not going to ask you to do something that he can't do with you. And that's the point, church, is that the God standard is higher than anything we could accomplish on our own strength, by our own willpower, by our own self-righteousness, because his standard is perfection. And we will never reach that in our own strength, but when we live by faith and we're clothed with Christ's righteousness and we're led by the Spirit, we'll do as the Spirit wants. As we grow in relationship with God, as we come to love Jesus more, we will obey his commands. And not out of religious duty and obligation, but because he changes and transforms our heart. And the things that looked appealing to us yesterday will seem less and less appealing tomorrow. As we surround ourselves with the things of God, as we look to the things that are of above and not to the earthly things of below. As we fill our minds and renew our minds by the word of God. As we spend time in prayer and meditation, drawing close to God, learning who he is, and being transformed by his presence. Second Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. In his spirit, by his spirit, in his strength, not our own. You know, Paul gives us, um, instruction in this passage here. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Most of these scriptures I'm going to have up on the screen for you, so if you don't have your Bible, you can read along. Um, but one way that scripture is very clear about understanding the church and understanding who we are as the church is this concept of family. And uh, family is such a key thing to the family of God. You know, Galatians 4, 4 to 8 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, but instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You see, what unites us as the church is our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Christian unity is important. And it's important for us because it's important for God. J.I. Packer defines Christian unity this way. He once said, we are sharers in the same love of the same Savior, the power of the same Holy Spirit, and the worship of the same Heavenly Father. And this brings us together as brothers and sisters in a single family, so that all Christians see themselves as brothers and sisters, friends to every other Christian in the world. 
See, what makes us unified, a Holy Community Church, is that we share the same Heavenly Father. And that makes us family. You know, um, you know, there's an old saying that blood is thicker than water. If you've ever heard that, meaning that family is important. And when thick comes, when it push comes to shove, people will stand up for their family. The family comes first. And you often see that, you know, like teenagers will go through a, a season of development sometimes where their relationships with their peers and their friendships become a vital thing. And sometimes they'll begin to pull away a bit from their families and engage with, with different relationships. But family is really important. And, you know, usually, very often, they'll come back. And they'll see the importance of mom and dad. They'll see the importance of their siblings. And even siblings that have it out for each other, siblings that would maybe even espouse that they dislike or hate one another, if someone's picking on their little brother, usually they're there. It might be the little pipsqueak in their eyes that can never do anything right, but if someone's going to do something to harm their little brother, they're there to protect them because it's their brother. And that's what it's like in the family of God, that we're family, which means that what unifies us is not opinion. It's not having the same thoughts on everything. It's not political affiliation. It's not that we view every single scripture through the same doctrinal light all the time. It's not perfect agreement on all issues. That's not what Christian unity is. A father, a mother, a son, a daughter can sit at a table at Christmas and family vacation and disagree about almost everything, about the fundamentals of life, and enjoy each other's time and presence with one another and to celebrate something together. Christian unity is that we worship the same God. We have the same spirit. And in a local body, God wants to bring us together and not divide us. God wants to see unity happen in our ranks and not division. And um, at the center of unity is love. What defines us is our Heavenly Father, the indwelling of our Holy Spirit, and our growing love for God, and a desire to worship Him. So here we go in verse 12. It says, since God chose you to be a holy people, to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the first thing I want to point out from the scripture here, it says God chose you. Did you know that? The Bible says that God chose you. He desired you. He wanted you in his kingdom. That he pursued you. And that the only reason that you can love him is because he first loved you. God chose you to be a holy people he loves. We are called to be a holy people. We're called to be a people set apart for the things of God, for the kingdom of God. And people that are set apart for the kingdom of God look different than people who aren't. You know, we see this highlighted throughout the Old Testament of, of God's chosen people. And they did things very different from everyone else. They had customs, they had traditions. You know, God called them to, to be separate most of the time from the rest of the populations. They couldn't inter, uh, interwed. I was going to say breed, <laughs> but it's, it's maybe not the best term, terminology. <laughs> but God has called us today to be a holy people, set apart for God, which means there's going to be a distinct difference between the way we conduct and live our lives than everyone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't walk with God. And here we see this imagery of clothing yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Tender-hearted mercy. What does that mean? Well, mercy, think when, when someone comes to you asking for mercy, 
I don't know when the last time someone asked you for permission, maybe when you gave your younger brother a headlock or something. But um, when someone is asking for mercy, essentially they're asking for forgiveness. Within our context, if someone is requiring mercy, it means that they've done something to harm you. They've done something to wrong you. And tenderhearted mercy means that you are going to forgive them. That you're going to still choose to love them. That you're going to identify that who they are and what they did are not the same thing. That people are not their actions. That sometimes people are going to let you down, even within the church. Even as set apart holy people, as we strive for that in the spirit, are going to let people down. We're going to hurt our husbands, our spouses, our friends. We're going to let people down because so often we slip back into our, our earthly selves. And tenderhearted mercy is that when people come to you saying, I recognize that I've hurt you, have mercy on me, please forgive me, that we forgive people openly and freely. That we operate out of kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. That the fruit of the Spirit, when we are being led by the Spirit, we know that from Galatians 5, will be more and more developed in our life as we live and walk by the Spirit. But at the same time, to expect that, that those things are going to be perfected in our life without God giving us the opportunity to need patience is kind of silly too. We know that there's going to be moments in our life that we are going to need patience. For me, it's every time I don't get through one light in Cold Lake. I don't know what it is. If I don't get through a single light because, you know, someone's learning a stick shift in front of me and they keep stalling out and all of a sudden the next red light comes and I didn't make it through, it's like really frustrating. And then I drive in Edmonton or Calgary and I think, what am I even concerned about if I don't make one light in Cold Lake? Like, honestly. Patience is developed in us when there's a need to be patient. And so when God puts that... that when opportunities and, and things happen in our life that require patience, that's when we have to draw on the Holy Spirit and trust in God for patience. And when we walk with God and when we read his word and when we are submersed in his presence and aware of his presence in our life every day, we'll have something to draw on. That's not our own self. That's not our own earthly man. Continues on in verse 13, saying, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive one another who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, the phrasing of it here, you know, there's another scripture that actually says that if you don't forgive others, that God won't forgive you. Imagine us who are forgiven much, not being able or willing to forgive someone of little. We need to be people who can forgive. People who understand that people are going to have fault. They're going to harm us and hurt us. But we have to be able to walk in forgiveness. In verse 14, it says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Love is a binding agent. And I never saw it in such a practical way until the birth of our children. That I was talking to some men who had trouble having that initial like, love interaction with their baby when their baby was first born. And so I was kind of like, oh, it's like the baby going to come out and I'm going to look at it and be like, are you sure this is mine? Like, like just some, of my, some of my friends didn't have that initial emotional um, thing that, that mom had. But often baby comes out and mom holds that baby and it's just like they have this connection. This love connection that's just like, ah, it's there. And there's part of me that was kind of like, I was, there's a little bit of worry and concern in me that Rhea was going to have this amazing love connection with our baby. And I was going to, to not have that same level of, of love for it or something. But the opposite for me happened. That Rhea, because she had a cesarean... As soon as the baby came out, it was put in my arms. I got to take Sophia and bath her for the first time and prepare and get her wrapped up. And then Rhea's family came to the hospital and I got to show her off to her family. And it was just the most amazing moment for me. 
And then when Rhea was conscious, she was conscious but not fully aware. She was really drugged up for a while there. And when I did bring the baby to her, it was just like she had that connection too and we both, we both had that. But I never realized what a bond agent love can be. That it bonds people together. And within the church, one of the greatest values is love because God is love. And God demonstrated his love for us when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And what the amazing thing is, is he didn't just for us, but he did for our neighbor too. If we were to think of the person that we dislike the most in the entire world, the most despicable person, the kid that bullied you in elementary school, the kid who stole your lunch money, that guy who ripped you off one time in a financial transaction, whoever that could be, God died for them too, that his love would be revealed to them and that they too would be redeemed, would be saved and come into the family of God. And so we have to clothe ourselves with love because love binds us all together in perfect harmony. You know, we're able to forgive much when we love much. That love truly does cover a multitude of sins. And so we've got to be loving. But it's not something that we strive for. It's something that God's got to give us. Just like I didn't work up love for, for my little baby Sophia. It was just there. That when we love, grow to love God, he does something inside of us that we begin to love others too. Why? Because he loves others. And if the spirit that was within us loves somebody else, he's going to change our heart to fall in love with that person as well. And so love grows as our faith grows, as we grow in relationship with God. Our love for others, our love for the lost will grow as well. Verse 15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Peace ruling in our hearts. I wonder how many of us most of the time have peace ruling in our hearts. How many of us have worry or strife or, or disagreeableness ruling our hearts? But for members as one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. You know, I know for me, peace is a very important thing. And for me, when I'm making an important decision, how God often speaks to me is, is through peace, that I'm led by the peace of God. And often, if I'm making a decision that isn't quite right, I don't have peace. I don't have peace. And peace is important. It says here that we are to live in peace and be thankful. You know, the Bible says, blessed are those who are peacemakers, that we are called to not divide, bring divisiveness, but to bring peace and to bring wholeness and completeness to people and maturity, bring people along into maturity. It doesn't mean that it's not a rocky road to disciple and to walk with people. It is because it's challenging. Because a lot of people, we all have mess in our lives. And when we walk closely in relationship with people, that's going to get fleshed out eventually. And so sometimes peace seems difficult. You know, um, keeping peace with a very disagreeable person can seem difficult. You know, I was talking to somebody not too long ago about, they were just asking me, they said, I don't think I know any, like I've never seen you get in a fight. I've never seen you, you know, be at war with somebody, and I was like, yeah, because I'm a pretty, like, agreeable person. Like, it's true. Like, I've been in the church 12 years, and I've never made an enemy yet. Woohoo! <laughs> but um, in saying that, I think that sometimes those of us that are, that are more, um, that want peace, sometimes have a tendency to want to not step out and say things that sometimes maybe we should to avoid ruffling some feathers. And for so sometimes if we are somebody who loves the peace, wants to stay in the peace, 
will settle for short-term peace to avoid conflict in order to have the long-term peace, which is the, a little bit of conflict at the offset to bring correction and guidance, but brings peace in the long-term because um, there's wholeness and, and life that's brought to a situation uh, that is challenging. And so if you're like me, you're someone who likes peace, be led by God and, and when to speak, when to bring correction, when to guide. And, um, and you know, some of you have the opposite issue, that you say too much all the time, or the way that you say it is like a sledgehammer. I think we all know people like that, that they go to give you a compliment and it's like a backhanded compliment, it's more like an insult. And it's like, whoa, what just happened? I've met a few of those. And, um, you know, but even, even then, you can have peace with them. And when you operate out of love, you can love somebody that in the moment seems to be cursing you. You can. God will do amazing things in your life when you surrender your life to him. Continue on to verse 16. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. You see, the gospel is for every single one of us in here today just as much as it was the day that we got saved. Did you know that? Did you know the gospel is just as relevant to us today? In fact, we have to walk in the gospel, walk it out every single day. You know, Mark Bureau a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago, gave a message about not staying at the foot of the cross but moving beyond it. And that's what it's about. It's just recognizing that we need the gospel every day. We need God more today than we needed him yesterday. And trusting in God every single day. You know, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And this is what we do at church. We bring the message that hopefully will bring richness to your life. There's teaching and counsel that we do as, as God gives us wisdom. This happens in small groups. This happens when we get together for coffee. This is not something that just happens on a Sunday morning. But something that we did do this morning is sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And something happens when we worship God. Something happens spiritually in us that something gets broken when we come to God and we worship him fully and completely, despite all of the mess of our lives that we brought in with us. When we lay it aside and give it to him and say, God, it's all yours. I'm here for one purpose, to worship you. God takes it and he works it for good in our lives as we trust him. Verse 17, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, glorify God in everything that you do. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Whatever you do, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in practical terms in our life, we are free people. Meaning that we're not bound by the Mosaic Covenant. I'm not bound by arbitrary laws that people make, other than maybe the rule of, the, of law of the land. We should obey our government and the rule of law. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about but rules and regulations and tr that the traditions of men that we set up in religious systems. And um, we're to walk in freedom from those things. But in saying that, we need to be cautious about not walking in our freedom to flaunt it, to offend. You know, um, I can give an example. Like, for example, right now, um, for me, as, as a pastor in the POC, I've signed a code of ethics saying that I will not drink alcohol, that I won't do drugs, that I'll live by a certain standard. And so I do that. Um, up until then, I didn't necessarily hold the conviction that 
that I should never, ever drink. And so once in a while, maybe two, three times a year, I did have the old glass of wine at an anniversary or at Christmas or if we were celebrating something. We even had wine at our wedding. If anybody was at our wedding, we had wine on our tables that Ria's uncle helped us make. And it was a consideration that we had there that was kind of like, okay, do we or don't we? For my family, it would not have been a party if there wasn't alcohol there. It wouldn't have been a real wedding. All my cousins would have been leaving the wedding to go get alcohol elsewhere. Our wedding c- celebration really would have turned into like, what do you call it at football games when everyone's at their, their tailgate, tailgate party? That's what it would have been. Everyone out in the parking lot drinking around their cars so they could come into the reception. That's what it would have been. And so even though it wasn't important for Rhea and I so much, we decided to have it for my family. And then the other side, there was no one in our family directly that it was going to like be a huge hindrance to. You know, like if I knew that half my family were raging alcoholics, that if we provided al- alcohol literally, like the whole part night day would be ruined. Like, you know, w- there's considerations of others when we make decisions. That even though it was our wedding day, it wasn't just about us. That we were taking, you know, we invited people to come celebrate with us and we wanted to celebrate with them. Which meant that if there was somebody that was struggling with alcohol, we didn't want to bring them into an environment in which there was alcohol. And if there were people that, for them, whatever, for whatever reason, couldn't feel like they could celebrate with us that day because of that, we, we wanted them to come celebrate with us, even though that wasn't the point for us. And, um, and so, in saying that, all I'm saying is that we have freedom to do certain things, but at the same time, we need to look out for our brother and sister. And so if you know there's things that are going to offend somebody, we don't have to flaunt it. But maybe we amend some of our behavior differently sometimes when we're around different people just to, you know, um, to honor them and to help them in their walk wherever they're at. It doesn't mean we're living inauthentically. It means we're, we're, you know, Paul put it this way, that I am all things to all men so that they will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the point is that not everything that... Um, that there are many things that are lawful, but that aren't, don't build up, and that um, basically aren't always beneficial to those around us. But I'll move on now. Um, so that was kind of church family life. I just kind of worked through it scripture by scripture there. But um, the things of, of God also pertain to our home life and our family life. And um, the Christian walk really belongs at home. Um, Move on here quick. So we see that in um, verses 18 here. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands. It is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, there's much, much, much I could say about these things, but um, for the sake of time today, I'm going to leave it to this. Sometimes we treat other people in our life better than we treat our own family. Sometimes we go to work and we'll be very kind and pleasant to our coworkers, to our boss, to the customers and the people that we serve. And then we go home and we'll be an absolute dog to our spouse, to our children, to our family. That's not what God's called us to do and to be. That our Christian walk begins at home. And so as husbands and wives, We need to serve each other and love one another. And if anything, you should be loving and honoring and respecting your spouse as much or more than your boss and your coworkers. And I don't know what it is, if it's just like when we come home, we know that kind of how the blood is thicker than water thing, that we know that, well, you know, if I'm rude to a friend, they could choose to not be my friend anymore and leave. But if I'm rude to my family, well, they're my family. I don't know if sometimes that is just in our subconscious, but it's, it's so sad that we're willing to sometimes be the cruelest to the people that we love the most. And that is not walking in and by the Spirit. That is walking in the flesh, 100%. And so wives, husbands, love and submit and respect and honor each other um, as much or more than you do anyone else in your life. 
Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. One version says they'll become discouraged and give up. You know, I want us to make two points about this. One is that children obeying your parents is, is important. We see it in the Ten Commandments. We see it, this principle in the Old Testament drawn all the way into the New Testament. And why is it so important to have obedient children, to have children that obey their parents? I want to submit two reasons. One is that they grow up to have a proper perspective of authority, that there's a proper respect for authority. And two, that if a child has never learned obedience, if they don't learn to obey their parents, how well will they learn to obey their Heavenly Father one day? Proper perspective and, and um, way of thinking towards authority, well, we know that God is an authority in our life. He is our Lord. He is our Master, as the Bible says. And so if we have complete disregard for authority, we have complete disregard for God, and if we disregard and have disrespect for those who are in authority over us, by default, we are disrespecting God because he's placed that authority in our life, whether it be our parents, our teachers, government officials, and so be it. And so we want to raise children that one day will learn to discern God's voice and be obedient to the heart and the will of the Father. And so... Our home is our training ground to raise our children. And obedience is important not just so that they listen to what we do and do as we tell them, but so that they're learning what it means to honor authority, how to obey when told, so that one day that they, when they meet Jesus, that they will too will obey Jesus. You know, and um, for parents, you know, sometimes we think that louder is better, that if we just talk louder, they can understand us better. It's not always true, unless your kids really can't hear, have an ear infection perhaps. But, um, you know, fathers, do not aggravate your children so they will become discouraged. You see, we need to be, walk a line of love, of respect, but also at the same time, allow them the grace to be able to make mistakes and to be there with them, to show them where they made their mistakes or allow them to figure that out and home be a place where they can always come to um, and find help. You know, that is the heart of our God. You know, we see that in the story of the prodigal son, the son that went and, and whittled away all of his inheritance. He asked for it up front before death, which was a huge disrespect to his father, to ask for his inheritance before he died, and then to squander it and then come home to be a servant in his household, but then to receive a grand reception of the father giving him honor and running out to him and hugging him and kissing him and putting a robe on his back and a, a ring on his finger. Fathers, mothers, don't aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged and might give up. We need to have a standard, a standard of behavior, a standard of, of godliness in our home, but it can't be so strict that it causes them to give up or, or standard that there still has to be grace applied in our homes. Um, 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. So as far as I know, nobody in here is a slave by definition. I hope not. If you are, please come talk to me. I want to liberate you. But in our modern-day context, most of this, like, it could apply to our work. What kind of employees are we? Are we the come in 15 minutes late and leave 15 minutes early because we can? Extend our lunch break as far as we can, hope that nobody notices. Only work hard when we know someone's watching or only put in effort when we know we're gonna get rewarded? Or are we people that live our life as though we're serving God all the time? That everything we do, we're doing to glorify God. 
when we're at work, when we're even doing unpaid work, where maybe we're on volunteer committees, where we're serving with our kids' sports teams, where we're in minor hockey league association, whatever you're doing, do it with excellence and do it to the best of your ability and do it as though you are doing it for God. And don't be discouraged when other people are slacking because other people are going to slack. That's just the way it's going to work. You know, there's always going to be the bees that do 80% of the work and the 20% that, that, you know, are just smelling the flowers and not collecting any nectar. That's, that's life. But, but be the bee that works hard and, and does your work for the Lord and not just for the approval of men. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for, what, for the wrong that you've done, for God has no favorites. And lastly, connecting with our, with our wider community, with those who don't know Jesus. You know, the Bible says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And this is where we all have to start. This is where we start, by devoting ourselves to prayer, to connecting with God, hearing God's voice, reading his word, and having an alert mind and a thankful heart in all things. You know, Paul here is writing to the Colossians. He's in prison. He says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plans concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I'll proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Can you imagine the guy sitting there in prison for proclaiming the gospel when the authorities told him not to? And he's still saying, pray that I'll have opportunity to keep preaching the mysterious plan of God, which is the gospel. And pray that I'll proclaim it as clearly as I should. There are some here that don't proclaim the gospel because you don't feel like you can do it clearly or competently. Even Paul, 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 Apostle Paul prayed that he would be able to proclaim it as clearly as he should. This guy knew the gospel. This guy knew how to preach the gospel, but yet he still was saying, God, lead me in how to preach the gospel so that it's effective, so that people can hear it and respond to it. And so, you know, yes, when it comes to the gospel, you can practice it. You can get into a routine, but really, in a way, the gospel is your life story. It's like I met God because God came down as a man and died on a cross. Like basically, it's your story with God because now the gospel, you're a part of it. And so every time you share your story, your testimony, what God did in your life, you're sharing the gospel as long as you don't leave God out of it. And so practice sharing your story, what God has done in your life, and um, pray, too, that you would have words to say it clearly. And uh, the more you do it, the more clearly you will be able to share it. And lastly, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and effective so that you will have the right answers for everyone. And, um, you know, other versions put it more like, let your words be graced with salt. It's this idea that we can talk about difficult things. We can talk about challenging things. We can even talk about differences when we have the same vision and the same mission that we want to see people come to know Jesus. We can have difficult conversations about differences, but let our conversation be gracious and effective and uh, not just, um, I guess what I want to say here is be less concerned about being right all the time. That sometimes I've, I get into conversations with people, whether gospel-related or something completely different. And really, my heart intention for the end goal of this conversation is to be right and to make sure that they know that I am right and they are wrong. And that's not the right attitude to have when you share the gospel, when we live with people. We live in a society where people have all sorts of different beliefs, 
We live in a multicultural, as they say, society. People come with all sorts of uh, different backgrounds, beliefs in God, or no belief in God at all. And so we need to live wisely among those who are not believers. And making the most of every opportunity, that means being gracious and effective in our speech. And um, not shutting people down, not, not arguing for argument's sake, but um, being led by the Spirit of God and doing it humbly and doing it, um, doing it always in love. Because people can tell if you are, are doing something out of love or doing something to be right. And nobody likes the person that's just trying to be right. Um, so as Christians, let's, let's be unified in love, the bond of love, and um, be gracious in everything we do. So there we go. There's a lot in there, and um, I didn't cover everything I wanted to, but, um, you know, God's word is very instructional and it's very practical to our lives. And so I, that's the point I guess I wanted to make today is that no matter what you're going through, where you are in your life, there's something in God's word that will help you in the journey that you're on. And so trust in God's word and, um, and by faith, um, remember that you can do all things, that you have the ability to walk out the life that God's called you to by the power of his Holy Spirit. So Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for today. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are so gracious and, and so full of mercy towards us. And God, I, Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a loving people, God, that we would not only love those outside the church, but those within the church, God, that we would, that there'd be such a, a unity within our midst, God, because we love each other. And Father, I just pray, God, that, um, Lord, that as we go this week, Lord, that you would empower us, Lord, that we would begin to see you and be aware of your presence in our life every day. God, that we would take moments every day to acknowledge you, to thank you for your, your presence in our life. And God, I just pray, Lord, that the church would go today encouraged, that they too can walk out these things as, as the apostles and as, as mighty men and women have before them by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit operating in their life. So God, we thank you this morning. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.